0: Hey everyone, welcome to the 8th instalment of the Mungrel Punt Podcast. We're taping this on the 8th of March, not May, 2020. The Tigers and GWS just played, so we'll have a bit of a wrap-up about that later on. just like to introduce the lovely Mrs. Mungrel, the queen of podcast preparation.
1: I haven't prepared at all. I was busy baking a banana cake.
0: It was pretty good too. There's plenty left, I'm pretty happy. Um, What's on the site this week? We've got reviews of every Marsh Marsh Series game up there. We'll have the AFLW Round 5 game up tonight or early Monday because we're a bit shorthanded with riders this week. Bit of of a few late nights for the old HB Myers.
1: I'll go to sleep at a good time. Yeah, um,
0: (laughs) thanks for your support. I appreciate it. Uh, We've had the mongrel team predictions up there, which have generated plenty of discussion usually about how crap our predictions are, but that's fine. We've got an article about who could jump out of the box in 2020, and for members that article was extended to twice the length as we looked at a few of the players who might regress this season. Speaking of membership, you get all the game reviews as soon as I do them, complete with misspellings and terrible grammar. I tend to fix that up on the fly when people point out my obvious errors. Um, So you don't have to wait. This week we published our player power rankings for the first round of the March series as well. We'll be doing that again this week and you can get an annual membership for, for as much as 65 bucks or as little as 65 bucks as much as 65 bucks or as little. <laughs> or six bucks per month will get you access to all our articles aside from the power rankings. So what are we doing here this week? we'll give you a bit of a Marsh series update, thoughts on the crows and suns, the Hawks and the demons, the power and the dogs, the Eagles and the Dockers, and the grand final rematch which just concluded between the Giants and the Tigers. We'll touch on Ben Brown's contract situation and whether North is shortchanging him or they're just being this smart about the way they go about their contract negotiations. And during the week, Daisy Pierce made the claim that Dustin Martin could be the greatest player ever. I think she actually stated that Dusty is the greatest player ever. So we might actually delve into that and get Mrs. Mongrel's esteemed opinion on the subject.
1: Got a lot of opinions about that.
0: We've got a lot of opinions on a lot of subjects. Mm. So we might get the ball rolling with the Marsh series update. So the Suns and Crows met on Friday afternoon, pretty early start for an AFL game. I think it was 4.50 Eastern time, which gave them enough time to slot in another game. The Suns showed a bit of guts here. They were challenged late in the game by the Crows and they managed to eke out a win. (laughs) It's only the preseason, but this sort of stuff instills belief in a young group. David Swallow was fantastic. He's their leader inside and one of the most underrated inside players in the game. He had 33 touches. He looked like a mummy at times in 2019. He was covered in bandages and stuff and on his knees, on his shoulders. He was limping around, but he didn't miss many games, if any, I think. He was actually really good. He soldiered on and tape-free in this one, so he looked really, really good. Lockie Weller, considering what was given up for him, I think it was pick two they sent to Fremantle for him, he's starting to show that he was worth the investment now. He's ultra-quick and puts, about, puts meters between him and his opponent in about five steps, so he's really quick off the mark. Ben Ainsworth's been injury-cursed over his young career, but I think he's had a good run at this preseason. Might be the breakout player of 2020 for the Suns, and they've got plenty that can fit into that category. He had 18 touches and a goal. Really could have had three goals in this one. couple of costly misses. Almost let the Crows back in. Darcy McPherson, he's a...
1: Or DMAC.
0: D-Mac as we <laughs> like to call him here. Not the first person in Australia to be called DMAC. Won't be the last, but he's the first one on this podcast. And could be the last, <laughs> the way we're going. <laughs> so he was excellent again. He's antagonistic, likes to get under the skin of, of the other team, and I could see him becoming one of the players that teams actually start booing on. Well, not teams, they won't boo him, but the fans will start booing him. They might. They might. <laughs> well, they're not going to do anything else to players these days. They just start booing them. Should I tackle him? No. What about bump him? I'll just boo him. <laughs> you can't do that either. That's a
1: $2,000 fine yeah, and a two-week suspension. <laughs>
0: They got a young bloke called Will Brody. I was trying to think who he reminded me of. He's got these hunched shoulders when he runs, and he's quick, and he's desperate. The way he looks when he plays is like Jared Brennan, the good version that was at the Brisbane Lions at the start. Not the terrible version that was really lazy and didn't apply himself. But he's got all the skills. He's like Jared Brennan with a dose of desperation. I suppose the downside was the Alex Sexton injury. The sex, the sex, yeah, the sex. Can will we be... call
1: him the sex bomb because it's just it rolls off the tongue a lot better.
0: No, he had a sex bomb explode in his hamstring <laughs> in this one. <laughs> Maybe it's up being overworked. <laughs> his hamstring, I'm talking about. But this could open up the door for someone like Isaac Ranking to come in and make his long-awaited debut. He didn't play at all last year. Sexton's got some big shoes to fill though. 39 goals in 2019 to lead the Suns. If Rankin comes in, big things will be expected. And really, big things are expected of him anyway. Sexton's injury looks to be a probably like a four-week, five-week injury already. It's, um looked pretty nasty when he did it. For the Crows, Tex moved into the ruck, which uh, you know he has to play somewhere, I guess. I can see this working if he takes the ruck work inside 50. He should be watching the way Tom Hawkins, one of your favorite players, Mrs. Mungle. She's not a fan of Tom Hawkins at all, for reasons that will go... Unsaid.
1: Completely superficial and ridiculous. Yeah, she doesn't like the way he looks. <laughs> she doesn't like the
0: way he looks. <laughs> but he works this Role along really, really well. It'd be interesting to see how many of his goal assists last year came from work at the Ruck contest.
1: So I need to ask, Tex is being moved around, is that right?
0: They're looking for a, a different way to use him.
1: Okay, so he reminds me of people at work. Oh no. Once we've had a restructure. And they just kind of start to move people randomly around into teams, and it's just like, oh, we don't know where to put you, so we'll put you here.
0: My question to you is, if Tex Walker worked at your at your work, yeah, would they be moving him because he's a shit worker, or because he's really good and they want to bolster another team?
1: Oh, I reckon he'd be the annoying guy, so they'd just probably shove him in with the other annoying people.
0: Yeah, so basically... He'd... Into my team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with me. Yeah. <laughs> And a beautiful friendship begins.
1: <laughs> Hi, Tex. Brody. We'll work great together.
0: Yep. Uh, Brody Smith in the middle. It probably solves a glut of runners they have at half-back. So the Crows have got Miller, a Laird there. And this move of Brody Smith into the middle really works for Laird. And it was evident in this game. He had 16 intercepts in this game, which was easily a game high. And the other one was uh, Daniel Talia, who was just destroying Peter Wright for three quarters before Stuart Jude finally decided to have some pity on him and throw him up the ground. I don't think Wright had many touches at all until he was thrown into the ruck and was allowed to move up the ground. I reckon he might have came to Jewett at three-quarter time and just asked for help. Please please move me away from this guy, he's killing me. So we'll move on to the D's and the Hawks. This was an absolutely horrible game in the first half with both teams missing targets left, right and centre. Full disclosure in this one, I'm a Hawthorne fan. I was really, really disappointed with the way they played. After halftime, the Ds lifted their game, and the Hawks remained shit. So, in a nutshell, that sums them up. We had Jack Viney, who I think I've mentioned on this podcast before. The commentators tend to talk him up as a tough bloke, and how hard he cracks in, and all that sort of stuff. You don't need to talk him up when he's playing like this. He had 23 contested touches, and in this game, I don't think that they mentioned how tough he was or how hard he was because if you were watching that game you could see it. So that's the sort of output they want from Jack Viney. Jake Malksham looks cherry ripe, four goals look dangerous and he led James Sicily a dance early on. I'll get to Sicily in a minute but I did see Jake Malksham about a week and a half ago I dropped into Arden Street and had a look at Melbourne versus North Melbourne and it looked to me as though Malksham was far and away the best player on the ground. He looks to be cherry ripe for this season and I think he could give Melbourne's best and fairest a shake the way he's going. Bailey Fritch was good again. Good hands. He got to dangerous spots over and over again. Finished with four goals. If I was to have a worry, it would be Tom McDonald, or we call him, T Mac, you like D Mac, oh, and you miss T Mac. He
1: said, "I was like Tom. Is this the Tom that won Australian of the Year? It's yeah, not, that was is him. It. Yeah, and I got confused.
0: Yeah, a lot of people call Tom win Australian of the Year. <laughs> yep. Tom McDonald. He's a power forward who just really isn't powerful at the moment. He probably needs to be the focal point of that that forward half. And at the moment, they're concentrating on Melksham and and Bailey Fridge. And I don't really know where McDonald's going to fit in." Petrarca was good again. Really liked his game. Wasn't as prolific as the week before we had 38 touches. He was in the 20s in this one, but really looked powerful with the ball. His changes of direction in the middle and ability to find people were excellent.
1: Power thighs.
0: Yeah, he's got some massive thighs on him.
1: I've been thinking Uh about your interest in Petrarca's thighs. My interest in Petrarca's thighs. Well, it is your interest. You keep bringing it up. Yeah, evidently. Uh, And... I think, because I like to bake so much, I should make something with chicken thighs and call it the Petraca.
0: Oh, you'd have to pick some hairs out of it.
1: I will just torch it.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> that, that beautiful smell of uh, burnt and singed hair.
1: Maybe that's what I'll do each week. I'll make something and name it after a player.
0: All right, so the Petrarca thighs. Yep. Mmm, tasty. <laughs> Clayton Oliver was fantastic. He sidestepped his way out of trouble multiple times. And the defensive combination of Jake Lever and Stephen May were both better again. This Melbourne team's starting to look a little bit more like 2018 than 2019. Probably nowhere near it yet, but they're also nowhere near being as bad as they were. The addition of Adam Tomlinson, I originally thought, and I was happy I'm happy to be wrong here, but I originally thought he may not be great for them. He was an absolute standout, had 32 touches, he was clean, made contest after contest. You'd see him at one end of the ground defending. Next thing you know, the ball, you know, rebounds up to the other end. Neri has taken a mark, or at least contesting. Both him and Ed Langdon played 90-plus percent of the game. The Ds have added elite runners, and they look fantastic with those two in the team. Hawthorne, been looking forward to this one, because uh, the player I apparently love, you believe I love him. Sicily uh, Look, this is a love-hate relationship. Love a Jordan Lewis was on commentary, and he claimed that James Sicily was Hawthorne's best player. Now, Jordan Lewis has been wearing fancy glasses for the last couple of years. He
1: does. He he wears the stupidest Uh, looking glasses.
0: I reckon he lost them, had someone else's glasses on, or he sat on them and broke them. Because James Sicily was so far from being Hawthorne's best player that I don't know what game Jordan was watching. He was directly responsible for three Melbourne goals due to his own stupidity. He looked lazy. He looked allergic to contact unless he was 100% sure that he would be the one initiating it. So at one point, the ball floated in, he kind of sat back and waited. And I think it was Jake Malcolm or Bailey Fritz just jumped up and took a chess mark right in front of him. And yeah, James Sisley's there swearing to himself and stuff, and you know, looks like he wants to kick the ground and kind of strut around and be angry. But for fuck's sake, James, do something! <laughs> he just didn't <laughs> do anything until the game was well past one by Melbourne. He took a few intercept marks and he racked up a fair few touches late, but You know, despite what Jordan Lewis says, and despite what the numbers say, don't be fooled, that was a terrible performance. However, it wasn't quite as shit as James Warple's effort. Now, James Warple is the reigning Hawthorne Best and Fairest winner, and right from the start, he seemed like he absolutely refused to hit a target by foot. Every time he kicked it, it either dropped short, went over someone's head, went 10 metres to the side of him, or he kicked it to complete... To, to a glut of Melbourne players there who just took it away. I know the Hawks fans love him. I'm a Hawthorne supporter. But his foot skills were appalling. On the upside, James Frawley was really, really good in defence. I'm not sure how much longer they can rely on him. Tom Mitchell.
1: Wow, Tom Mitchell. Strand of the year. Yep.
0: Yes, he got through the game again. No injuries. Looks to be getting his touchback. And Jonathan Patton has had a full pre season now. And that's a fantastic outcome for Hawthorne. They took a risk on him. He's come into the side. He looks the part. He attacks the ball well. Hasn't got the result yet, but I think at some point this year, we're going to see him kick a bag of goals, and everyone will say, wow, I can't believe they got him so cheaply. Not going to mention much about my old buddy Chad Wingard. He looks too slight for me, and is knocked off the ball way too easy in a contest at the moment. I don't know what he can do. Maybe he has to be an outside runner and... Yeah, I'm a bit lost. I expected so much more from him.
1: I didn't. He's been looking rubbish and worse and worse for years. I don't even know how many years I've been watching football. No. Two. Okay, two years. <laughs> Terrible.
0: And he just keeps getting worse.
1: Oh look, I don't know Is what's it the going on? His hair, his face. I don't know.
0: Yeah, look, I'm not the biggest fan of what he's doing at Hawthorne at the moment, but uh, hopefully Alistair Clarkson can get him to pull his finger out or put his finger in if that makes him feel better. I don't particularly care. <laughs> The Dogs and Power was possibly the best game of footy we've seen in the Marsh series to date. I really needed to watch that after I saw the, the D's and the Hawks because they were terrible. Sam Powell Pepper worked really, really hard in the second half. When the game was on the line, he was throwing himself in. He had 25 touches at 72%, which is a wonderful outcome for him because people will question and say 72% effectiveness, that's not great. But last season, he ran at 66% for the whole year. So anything above 70 for him given he wins contested ball, is a really, really good outcome. I'd expect to see him in more more center bounces this year. He looks like he's improved his tank, and I'm really hoping that he can make an impact because late last year it was looking like Port would be better off without him in the team. I hope the penny is dropped for him. Bailey Smith, your buddy Bailey Smith. who Bailey
1: Smith. I've, I know what he looks like now. Yeah. He looks like a hyena. Oh my but God. not one of the... the... Good ones. That's in charge. He's like the one that's biting his own
0: leg, like, like one of the ones from the Lion King. Yeah, and not the the stupid live action version either. The the cartoon the version. Yeah. yeah, one of them bites its own leg.
1: There you go. That's probably what I'm thinking of.
0: But, well, is Well, that, that's mainly due to his hairstyle, right?
1: Oh, entirely. I have nothing else.
0: Which he's doing for charity, which is a wonderful cause. And good on you, good on you, Bailey. We're really supportive. I'm still going to Dish everybody. Shit. That's really shit. <laughs> so last season. There were two first-year players that were probably the standouts, and that was Sam Walsh at Carlton and Connor Rosie at Port. And I'm wondering, by the end of this season, we'll be we'll be asking, will is Bailey Smith in the mix with those two? He's had double-figure tackles in both match series games. He's got no fear. He's the kind of player that complements the elite mids of the Dogs. They've got Bond, who you love, McRae, Hunter. Hey. They're all ball magnets. Dunkley gets in there as well and tackles hard. <laughs>
1: Sorry, ball magnets. <laughs> okay, so. Small I keep things, going. small things. <laughs> small so, minds. So
0: Dunkley gets in there and, and tackles hard as well. Oh, now we're talking about tackle. <laughs> hard tackle. Jeez, this is degenerating quickly. <laughs> so Dunkley gets in there. He tackles really hard. And now they've got Smith in there as well, who seems to be maturing. He, those 10 tackles, I mean, that's not something that happens you know, week, weekly for players. I think Elliot Yo last year led the league in tackles, or was round about the mark. Maybe Jack Steele. And they were under eight a game. So if you know, if Smith can keep up that kind of tackling pressure, he's going to be invaluable to that team. Tim English, I was watching him with, with interest. Uh, he was pushed around last year by too many ruckmen. And he had a great first quarter versus Scott Lysette. He of the fancy mustache and nice hairstyle, Scott Lysette. I like that. Yeah, but Scott Lysette kind got, got beaten quite convincingly by by this young fella in He'll the make first quarter. Well, he didn't in this game. He actually hurt his ankle and went off the ground and spent the rest of it on ice. So he took three intercept marks and kicked the goal in the first quarter and went on with the job after that. He was one of the the dogs' best for the game. Robbie Gray started doing things like Robbie Gray does usually. Last year, he was subdued. He was injured. He couldn't get around the park as well. He missed some games. He had three goal assists in this one and one piece of play where he kept the ball in, beat his man... Centered the ball and set up a goal for his team. Was absolutely spectacular. Didn't see it any of the highlight reels, which was crazy. But Robbie Gray looks to be doing Robbie Gray things once again. And um, <laughs> I can't wait to see what he produces this year. It's the showdown in round two versus Adelaide. And I think Robbie Gray holds the record for the most best on grounds in the Adelaide showdown. Styx Marshall or Mitch Georgiadis is a question that Port Adelaide hierarchy will be asking themselves. With Charlie Dixon pulling his groin, oh my God. (laughs) While I was saying it, I'm like, here we go.
1: Go on, I'm really enjoying this podcast. (laughs) So,
0: while Charlie Dixon is out there pulling his groin, (laughs) one of these two guys is going to have to step up. Now, Sticks Marshall, he's had a couple of years in the system. He delivered on the weekend, he kicked a couple of goals, took a couple of nice marks. But Mitch Georgiatis attacks the contest like... No other 18-year-old in the game at the moment. He got his hands to a couple of... Here we go. He got his hands to a couple of balls late in the game. Mm-hmm. 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 This is what he I love about football. He didn't pull down the mark, but what he did was bring it to ground and set up, the, set up the goal for his team. And the way he attacks it, you can see there's a bit of swagger about him. He's looking like a very, very likely customer, and you could see him become a star in the next couple of years. He's... Yeah, there's plenty to the like about him. So looking at the benefits of having both of them playing, so you get Charlie Dixon out. He was supposed to have this breakout year this year. He was supposed to be really, really good. He's pulled his groin, Mrs. Mungrel. He's really pulled it.
1: They're all pulling on their groins, aren't
0: they? Well, not usually while they're playing. <laughs> However, he's done it, and he he looks like he'd probably be touch and go for the first round. But again, oh Jesus!
1: <laughs> just shut up. Yeah, can you just leave the room go. for a yeah. minute?
0: So I suppose we we might even get to see Marshall and Georgiades play together. And if we do see that, they might uh they might have Port Adelaide start thinking about their forward structure going forward. Finally on this game, Josh Bruce, man with two first names, never trust him. Mm-hmm. He had uh contested grabs, kicked four goals in his first game as a dog, and was absolutely fantastic for those guys. He's gonna make life much, much easier for Aaron Norton when he comes back. It's gonna take a lot of the heat off him, and he showed that he can get to the fall of the ball judge it in flight and make a real difference for them the dockers and eagles the mini derby
1: you looked so excited when you said that then
0: i was actually very excited when i started to watch it oh. and i quickly realized that this was a really poor game it was a uh, coach to the point where it seemed to me both adam simpson and justin long not long Longmuir. long Longshanks, long shanks long pants anyway wore <laughs> long pants in this one uh, the, the, so Fremantle got up by you know, at the death, and much much of this game was played between the arcs. No one took any risks in the first three quarters. It was really a it was, it was a really poor standard game. Uh, the defence dominated. The Eagles got the jump in the last quarter, and then the Dockers went bang with five straight goals. I think and Liam Ryan had an almost game. He looked like a match winner. He looked like the only dangerous player on the field at some points. But he just failed to deliver. I think he ran at 20-something percent efficiency for the game, which kind of doesn't tell the story of his game. He looked like he could take it over. And in the last couple of seconds of the game, last 30 seconds of the game, he actually got his hands on the ball, ran into the open goal, and a lunging tackle by a young bloke named Adam Chera just knocked him off balance. And he kind of handballed directly to one of the Fremantle players who cleared, and I think it was Brennan Cox. Oh look!
1: I'm trying hard. You're to... trying
0: hard. These players aren't making it easy for you, are they? <laughs> They're making it hard for you. I think we're going to get like a an M15 rating on this podcast. See,
1: this is why Sexy Land should sponsor us. <laughs> it
0: is Sexy Land. We don't want materials. <laughs> We'd like money. It'd be great. So Adam Chera, who. Yeah, many, including myself, think we'll have a breakout year this season. He really put the big yards in and, and grabbed hold of Ryan just as he was about to kick for goal. Probably saved the game for Fremantle in the wash-up, but doesn't mean a hell of a lot other than the fact that they walk away winners rather than losers in a practice match. Schultz! Oh my god. Sgt. Schultz! Lockie <laughs> Schultz! He challenged, channeled a bit of Hayden Ballantyne again, second week in a row. And I reckon he's secured his round one spot in, with his March Series performances. He gets under the skin of the opponents. If he plays 15 to 17 games, I reckon he could be one of the most hated players in the league by the end of this season. People just don't seem to like him. People want to knock him over. He seems to be pretty happy with this.
1: So Green and Sicily have a new bit of new competition.
0: Lockie Schultz rising up the rankings quickly. Like the mongrel punt up the podcasts on the day we release. And then it drops down dramatically after that. <laughs> Anyway, like Schultz has been fantastic for them. He was uh, He's had a really good March series. If he doesn't play in round one, I'd be really, really surprised. Griffin Logue, who sounds like a bit of a fantasy character.
1: That's such a great name.
0: Not a sexy land fantasy character. More your Lord of the Rings kind of character. He had the job of stopping Josh Kennedy, who kicked six goals last week. And he really took the points in this matchup. Logue was the winner in every facet. I'm not sure how many touches Kennedy had in this. I think maybe two or three. He did kick a goal due to a hack kick inside 50. He took a mark, kicked a goal. But really, Logue's doing a wonderful job back there. He's holding this defense together with clag and duct tape at the moment. Duct tape? He's trying to hold it together with duct tape.
1: Fantastic. The other night, we watched... What did we watch? Skyscraper. Skyscraper. With the rock. Yeah. And he uses duct tape and puts it on his hands and... um. Uses it to climb on the outside of a skyscraper.
0: Yep, because that'd work, wouldn't it?
1: The rock can do anything. He could,
0: yeah. So what's he saying? If you try to use... If you can't use... If you can't, use, can't if fix something... If you can't something, fix
1: something with duct tape, you're not using enough duct tape.
0: That's right. So guys, if you're having trouble with something at home, duct tape is apparently the answer. Elliot Yo, absolute machine in this one. He had a few skill errors along the way and probably will have a couple early in the season as he works out the rust, but he was the most potent mid on the park in this. He was running hard, gained a hell of a lot of metres for West Coast, and when the game was on the line, he elevated his game. He hit the contest very, very hard. Bailey Banfield. He stepped up late in the game, right after Luke Shuey looked like he was trying to sit on his face. I get the feeling that some of the Eagles actually don't like Bailey Banfield. I
1: don't know. If you're trying to sit on someone's face, you probably like them a lot.
0: But anyway. Oh, Luke Shuey's trying to to neg him. (laughs) Yeah, so Bailey Banfield didn't like that too much, obviously. he's uh, He used to be in the, in the dominant position. And he he decided that uh, he was going to take matters into his own hands, kicked two goals in the last quarter, it was a really good response from him because he had a pretty quiet game up till that point. Michael Walters looked fantastic in patches, but he still tries to draw too many free kicks for my liking. He will throw himself on the ground or throw his head back or kind of lead into players with his head trying to Trying to draw free kicks, and he's too good for that. He don't want, he's too bloody good to be remembered as a player who does that, that often. And in a practice match, he should probably be playing the ball, not for free kicks. Sean Darcy looked dead early on. Looked like he'd broken his leg. Came back and fought to a draw with Nick Nat, which is no small feat. I think he only played 50% of the game. Actually had more touches than Nat and Nui. He's probably going to be really important because it frees up Rory Lobb to go forward or back depending on the need of the Dockers, so if Darcy can remain healthy and actually run out games, they're going to be much, much better off for it. Finally, we saw Andrew Gaff get more freedom in this game. I think he had 30-something touches. This is mainly due to the addition of Tim Kelly to the mix and allows him to play a couple of touches outside the contest. So last year, I don't know why this happened early in the season, but I often found Gaff right at the coalface, trying to win the football and just throwing the ball on his foot, hoping for the best, and it just wasn't working for the Eagles. You need Gaff outside, running with time and space, and that's what was manufactured for him in this game. So the addition of Kelly is already reaping benefits there. We'll jump to the final one, which was the Tigers and the Giants, which finished just before we started this podcast. Which So I haven't got comprehensive notes on this, obviously. It was a really, really good hit-out for both teams. You could see both teams trying their style. A couple of times, Richmond dared... GWS to try that forward handball and a couple of times GWS tried it and took them on and it didn't work and the Tigers turned it over and took it straight back up the other end and a couple of times they actually got through. When they got through they looked fantastic. Toby Green, arguably best on ground in the bushfire game, was best again today. He's ready for a massive season this year. 20 something touches, 5 goals and it was him in the last quarter when GWS were being challenged. He kicked a couple of goals back to back and really pushed GWS to the win. Josh Kelly got a heap of it, but just tended to blaze away inside 50. He probably needs to get a bit more composure, lower his eyes and start hitting targets. There was a couple of times he just kicked to three Richmond defenders on one player. Nick Haynes was a bit iffy early, but rounded into the game beautifully and became that reliable halfback marker. Stephen Cornelio looks set for a big one as well. 32 touches, a couple of goals, could have had three, but hit the post late in the game. And a young bloke, look, I'm, I'm getting ready to say his name. I dare you not to be silly. I dare you. His initial is I. His surname is Cumming. Fuck. (laughs) Yep, his (coughs) name's Isaac Cumming. He really put his hand up. Oh, man. He really put his hand up for a round one selection with 11 intercept possessions. He had 22 touches and 10 marks. And what Sam Taylor was doing last week for GWS, he was doing this week. So he was wonderful. Fantastic to see a young bloke put his hand up again and make a name for himself in this GWS team. It's not an easy team to break into. For the Tigers, Dustin Martin was huge early. He finished with 24 touches, two goals, two 10-score involvements. He's the only bloke who had double-figure score involvements. When he gets near the ball, good shit happens for Richmond. I think that's an understatement. They've got players who are fantastic at pressuring, but when Dusty touches it, great things happen. I really like Trent Cotchin's attack on the footy at the center clearances. He won a heap of them, and his tackle on Cornelio late in the game was absolutely perfect. Prestia was really good too. I think he set out most of the last quarter. He had eight clearances to three-quarter time. Didn't get one in the last quarter. I'm pretty sure he didn't play much of the game. The Mark Sydney stack took, using Toby Green as a stepladder. It's a pity that this wasn't in the home and away season, because it would have been a contender for Mark of the Year. It's on the Punt Facebook page if you apparently live under a rock and you haven't seen it yet. Jack Rewalt did not look good in this game. He played 40% of the game, had five touches, and just didn't look like he was going to get near it. Probably lucky he didn't give four or five free kicks away as well. I think he got a pretty good run from the umpires. And the last thing on this game, Jeremy Cameron, I think inadvertently, need Kane Lambert in the head. I don't think he has much to answer for. It looked like they were both going for the football, went over the line. Cameron's dropped to his knees to kind of come to a stop, and he's clipped Lambert in the jaw on the way through. I think it was unintentional. Whoever the commentator was in this game looked like he was... or sounded like he was trying to hang him. So he's like, oh, does Cameron have anything to answer for here? Or oh, perhaps he does. Dermot Brereton was like, nah, no problems.
1: I love Dermot.
0: Yeah. You could... Dermot Brereton could shoot someone or someone could shoot someone on the field and Dermot Brereton go, well, you know, you know, he was probably trying to shoot a deer and the guy just jumped in the way and...
1: And I'd be like, look, Dermot's right.
0: Yeah, Dermot's right. So we'll have other reviews from this roundup. There's a game happening as we speak. And we'll jump on that, jump on that and have reviews up this afternoon or evening. We want to talk a bit about the Ben Brown contract at North Melbourne. It's being reported that he wants four years, and North Melbourne are offer him offering him just three. I can't understand what North's tactic is here and why they would play hardball with a guy who has been so consistent for them, has kicked 60 goals in each of the last three seasons, and is the only player in the league to have done that.
1: They endanger. Of him just kind of going I don't really want to play games here I'm going to look elsewhere
0: Well, I Was somebody
1: at, just coming and poaching him
0: I look at Ben Brown as someone who Is North Melbourne at the moment So North Melbourne through and through I think he would really love to re-sign with them And I think he has every right to ask for a four year deal Given the output he's producing at the moment So he hasn't won a Coleman medal Which has been unfortunate He's been second the last couple of years He hasn't made the All-Australian team And you could argue he was absolutely robbed last year of that they threw tom hawkins in there which made your blood blood just boil and maybe that's that's what they're looking at well he's a he's a really good player he hasn't really gone to the next level just yet he's 27 so by the time this is finished he'll be 31 this is his big earning years right now so i'm not sure what why north are playing hardball with a loyal club servant i'm sure if jordan dagui became available They'd have no problem offering him seven or eight years to get him over. So I'm not sure why you dangle a carrot like that to someone outside the club, yet fail to to give respect to someone who's at your club and toiling away already.
1: Staff retention. Nobody Staff. does it well.
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't need to put effort into him. He's already here. He's here. Yeah. Don't worry about him. The other thing that came up during the week was a comment from Daisy Pierce, who decided to come out and state that Dustin Martin is the best player to ever play the game.
1: Daisy's obviously watched a lot of football. She's 31 years old. She's involved with a lot of football. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How the heck could she say something this
0: stupid? Look, part of me thinks she's just... She's on radio. She's fishing for something to say. She really wanted to ram home how good Dustin Martin is. And to be honest, in 2017, he he had a year that is right up there with the best ever. So he won the Brownlow that year, he won the MVP award, he won the Norm Smith, the Tigers won the grand final, he was kicking goals, he was doing Dustin Martin things. It was probably on a, on, a, on a, upon par with the 1977 year that saw Lee Matthews average 27 touches and 3.8 goals a game. Matthews came out and said that season from Martin was the best he'd ever seen, including his own work, which is just him being magnanimous, I suppose. But to give you an indication of how good... Matthews was in that season last year. Jeremy Cameron averaged 3.2 goals to win the Coleman medal. In 1977, Matthews averaged 3.79 goals a game. And he didn't even play forward for the majority of the time. He'd drift into the midfield, similar to what Martin does now. And when he'd go forward, he'd just kick bags of goals. So if you put out names like Lee Matthews, Wayne Carey, Gary Ablett Sr., and even your buddy Gary Ablett Jr., I'm not even sure Dusty features above any of them And if you asked him, I'm sure he'd probably say Look, I've got a bit of work to do yet What could he do, I wonder To actually put himself in that frame?
1: Why haven't you put Dermot on the list?
0: You know I'm a Dermot fan Step carefully You know I'm a Dermot fan I had his poster on my wall when I was a kid And maybe into about like 17 years old Who knows? (laughs) Let's delete that bit (laughs) But Dermot Dermot spent too much time injured And too much time Suspended, so at his peak he was he really, really so good. He had so much flair. He did. If it was, he was in the Flair Olympics, he'd probably be a, a multiple gold medalist. Look,
1: greatest ever is beyond stats. Thank you. Well,
0: he did ride everybody. his motorbike up to the Metro nightclub doors once. Got off and just walked straight in, and left his motorbike with the bouncer. It's nice. a pretty impressive effort.
1: No, it's ridiculous, but I love it. Well, but he had a blonde so mullet. You can, so
0: you can do that. <laughs> you could do that in the eighties and get away with it. So yeah. I, I don't know what Dusty would have to do. I think if he wins a third Norm Smith medal, he's at the point where he's in the conversation. If he wins a second Brownlow, he's in the conversation. If he has another year, like 2017, his case is really, really strengthened.
1: So if Daisy had said Dusty could be the greatest ever,
0: he has the potential to be. He
1: has the potential to be the greatest ever. That would be totally a legitimate thing to say.
0: He's in the frame at the moment. The way he's travelling. And with his record over the past few years, if he was to continue that for two to three more years, he'd definitely be in the conversation. You couldn't really dispute the fact that he's one of the greatest at that stage. Hmm. Well, there you go. So, Dusty, not in the top five for us. I
1: just don't like anybody saying that someone's the greatest ever without having a little disclaimer about Dermot. Anyway, Mm -hmm. carry on.
0: Well, Dermot, if you're listening, Mrs. Mungrel, bit of a big fan has you number one in the greatest of all time rankings. (laughs) Take that, Wayne Carey, Gary Ablett, and Lee Matthews. Get out of here. Yep. Guys, I'm going to head off and work on the rest of these game reviews. Thanks for joining us this week, and we'll have the season preview up next week. It's going to be a big, big, big week. Thanks for joining us. Cheers.